Well, good evening, City Life Suffolk. How's everybody doing tonight? I'm so excited to be here. My name is uh, Vanessa Michaud, and my husband and I lead City Life. And because of so many hats that I wear at the church, I don't get to be here very often. And so I'm going to try to rein in my enthusiasm so I don't scare you, because I'm very excited to be here worshiping and celebrating with you. And can I just say that for those of you who I know, which are many here, just I want to just give you a big hug. And um, we've had the journey of of uh, rather the adventure of journeying together for many years, so many here who helped plant City Life Suffolk a couple of years ago. And, you know, I don't take that for granted, the relationships and the, the, the God encounters that we've experienced together and just being able to be friends in life. And um, so it's exciting to see you tonight. And then I just want to say to those of you, which again are also many who I don't know, um, what an answer to prayer you have already been. Whether you know it or not, that God has led you and directed you, even though I don't have the joy of knowing your journey. If God is leading you here to invest and engage and be a part of what is happening here at City Life Suffolk, that there is such a unique contribution in place that he has for you. The God, God's word says that he fitly frames us together. And so even though I don't know your story, that God is going to fitly frame you here. And we're going to have the opportunity to be friends. And so I'm excited about you. And whether you know it or not, you're excited about me because we're going to be friends. So I'm excited to be here tonight. I do just bring greetings from our Newport News campus. We pray for you um, before service every week and in our staff meetings and in our leadership team meetings, just what God's doing here. So excited. So it's fun for me to be in the room with you. Um, so I get to open God's word with you tonight. How many get excited about opening God's word? I love God's word. God's word is truth and God's word is life. And so I want to share one of my personal life verses, one of the verses that is kind of bedrock and foundational to who I am. And that is John 10.10. 10. It's probably a verse that you might know. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I think it's important there, the word only. It's like all he knows how to do, right? Everything he is about leads to stealing, killing, and destroying. But, Jesus is speaking here, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And so I love that promise in God's word. It's one of my favorite promises, this truth of life to the full. So I'm going to ask you to help me out. What do you think of when you hear the phrase, life to the full? Somebody. Because I'm a talker. I've got a microphone. I'm going to come find you. Joy. All right. Life to the full. Joy. Content. Lots of Sunday school answers. Okay, I think ice cream sundae, a hot brownie, fudge, cherry. Nobody? I mean, we can, we can go off script here. Tell me life to the full. I think beach. That's just me. Coffee. What kind? Specific. Starbucks, of course. Let's just, okay, let's just keep it godly. Yes, Starbucks. Okay. Somebody else, life to the full. Taking chances. That's a great one. Somebody else, Who? Time with family, yeah. Slowing down, pausing, pressing pause, just valuable time, quality time. Dreaming big, over here. Log cabin in the mountains, there you go. There's lots of things, right, that we could throw under the umbrella of life to the full. One more. Success, go ahead, I lied. Relationship, okay. So many good ones. One of the things I like about the promise of life to the full is that it's both this overarching promise and then underneath of that, 
the way that we want God to show us life to the full, the way that it, what it means to us is very specific. And there's lots of room for individual expression there. And so um, my, in my growing up, we're going to get to know each other a little bit tonight because I'm really going to share out of my own life. Um, I was born into a family where my parents had met each other and found Jesus in college. And both of them came from homes where they didn't have faith. And so they didn't have any kind of biblical background or any kind of teaching. And they got saved in the, in the hippie movement and the Jesus movement, right? So um, no bra, no makeup. That was a scary time to serve Jesus. Um, I've seen pictures. But my parents madly fell in love with Jesus. And so they started to pursue him. And I quickly came along. And so I was born into an environment where in my home, and my mom sounds like she's 60 million years old, even though she's only 64. She's like, Vanessa, there wasn't the internet. You know, there wasn't Lifeway. There wasn't all these parenting books. And so they learned about how to live life according to God's word from reading God's word, right? They couldn't go look it up or they had people that were mentoring them and people that were speaking to their life. But so much of what they learned was, okay, what does God's word say about this and how do we bring this to life in our home and our marriage and our family? And so I was, I was privileged to really be braised up in an environment that always the first question was, what does God's word have to say about this? And so as a young teenager and into my young adult years, I can remember distinct moments time after time again where I was facing a decision, facing a relationship, facing, you know, a choice, and maybe my friends were making different decisions, going different ways, and where I knew John 10.10, and I would hold that verse up before God, and I would say, because, you know, you're kind of brazen when you're 14 and when you're 18, right, and I don't know that I've actually lost that, and how many know God's not afraid of our, of our threat or our saying, God, you better make good on your word, right, and I remember saying, all right, Lord, I'm going to choose you because you've not proven yourself self-unfaithful. But when I make this choice, my life better look like life to the full. It better smell like life to the full. It better feel like life to the full. Like it can't be like a gray area. It needs to be life to the full. And what I can say with confidence is that God showed himself true and faithful and strong time and time again. And so when I share this as a life verse, it's because it's part of the DNA of who I am. It's not, it's not a hashtag. It's not a casual scripture. It's something that God has made true to me. It doesn't mean that life is without hardship. It certainly doesn't mean that I'm perfect and haven't made a ton of mistakes. But what it has come to mean for me, this idea of life to the full, is that I'm on the path that God has dreamed for me, and on that path, I'm, I'm looking to become the person that God has for me to become. And in so doing, he's transforming me, and he's transforming you, right, to look more and more like him. That's an adventure worth living. And so... Um, so this is just kind of part of, of, of how I think and how I view the world. And so it was rather surprising, very alarming, um, somewhat humbling to discover recently in my walk with Jesus that um, I found myself dealing with an area of my life that was beginning to erode my belief in life to the full as it pertained to this area, and I hadn't even realized I had gotten there. And this was in the area of eating and making right food choices for good health. So we're going to get really like vulnerable tonight. 
as I share out of my own life. I had a lot of reasons why I felt like God wouldn't want me to share so vulnerably. <laughs> and God made it really clear that he wanted me to share this. And so, um, so we're just going to get to know each other in that. Now, to be clear, I was not dealing with any kind of food, ad- food addiction or food disorder because that's a different conversation. What I was dealing with was this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, darn it, called self-control, right? And this idea of moderation and this idea of balance and this idea of, um, of godliness in this area. There's not a specific formula, but I knew that this was not what God's best was. And Satan is like so crazy good. And I don't like to give Satan a lot of credit. I'm not one of those people that sees Satan in everything at all. Maybe to a fault because he's so wicked and he's so manipulative and he's so excellent at guising himself that what had happened really is, you know, if he had come into my life, you know, with a mask on, with a smoking gun in his hand, kicking down the door and overturning furniture, I probably would have said, you know, that's bad. You know, he shouldn't be here. I should probably get rid of him, right? He doesn't belong. But that's not how the enemy came to me in this area of my life. He comes thinking that, you know, guised as a circumstance, maybe a financial situation, maybe a relationship. He comes guised as a thing, and then he just gets a foothold in our life, and he kind of sets up shop and begins to make himself comfortable. And it's quiet, and it's small at first. And he, I wanted to share this because I believe that the enemy might be doing something similar in your life. You might have an area of your life where you feel like you're dealing with a thing, right? You're dealing with a circumstance, a situation, a person, a relationship, a fill in the blank. And what's really happened is the enemy has come in and he started to get a foothold in your life. And he begins what I call a suck out of us. <laughs> it's the suck of the beginning of stealing, killing, and destroying. He doesn't start with a big, right? He doesn't start by upturning furniture in our life. He starts much smaller, much differently. And so it's my hope tonight that as I share on my own journey, that God will speak to us, each one of us, and we'll be honest and courageous to be able to say, God, is there an area of my life that maybe is being used to steal, kill, and destroy. Because those are the areas, it's those things that we begin to settle for less than God's best. And I don't know about you, but I consider myself a Jesus girl. And if I'm going to live this life, I want to live it full throttle, all in, all out. And I want every benefit this side of eternity, right? I'm not just going to bake it through the pearly gates and whine my whole way, uh, living life. I want to live victorious. I want to live, um, you know, live, live in a place where God's word is active and at work in my life. And so I don't want to settle. And I believe that God has this life to the full for each one of us. So let's just believe God to speak to us tonight. So how did this happen? That's kind of where I started. How did this happen? Um, for me, it was a it was a slow, a slow buildup of questions and doubts causing mental anguish and maybe some background noise. So for me, it was, you know, that was ugly, Vanessa. Just, you know, after a situation maybe, or I overate, or I made wrong choices, right? I, did, I could have done better. It was a, a you could do better. Um, let's try harder next time. You know, that wasn't pretty. Um, you know, is that the best you've got? And it starts with these little voices, right? These little questions. 
that become, this is the scary part, that scratchy background noise starts really low. But if you've ever been in an environment where there's a noise and it goes on long enough, how many know we begin to tune it out and it becomes part of your normal? You don't hear it anymore. And that's what happened for me. It had become part of my normal and was slowly beginning to grow in volume, causing questions, not life to the full. I began to justify my actions and my choices, which the Bible calls being double-minded. And there's a lot in God's word about being double-minded. And for me, what that meant is, um, you know, thoughts like I would, you know, start my day out and, you know, I'd turn on the news or whatever it was. And, and I would literally have thoughts of, Vanessa, help God out. He's got a rough day ahead of him. See what's happening in North Korea, <laughs> right? See what's happening with this school shooting. See what's happening... Because the enemy knows how to minimize our need for God, right? Like, help God out and just do good in this area of your life and don't let it rob you today. And because as a, as a pastor, we have the privilege and joy of walking with people through life, both in the good times and, and the bad, the enemy would come to me personally and he would say things like, this person's marriage is on the rocks, you know, this family, they can't pay their bills this month, and you just eat too many chips and salsa. How about you help God out and work a little harder and do a little better? You don't need God in this area of your life, right? It wasn't that brazen, but that was the lie. That was the lie. And I became trapped in wrong thinking that minimized my need for God. It minimized my, this is what's important to note, it minimized my belief that God wanted to or needed to or should have to. Not that he was able to. See the difference? That he should have to be involved in this area of my life. And what I've since learned is any time, no matter how silly or trivial or small we think something is, we begin walking on very thin ice when we believe that maybe that area is an area where we don't need God, right? That's a dangerous place to be. God's got bigger fish to fry, so try to do this on your own and help God out. That is a scary place to be. So let me ask you, do you have any places in your life that you might be trying to handle on your own? Maybe an area that you think, you know, if I can just work harder, if I can just try something different, if I can just figure this out. So James 1 verse, verse uh, 5, it says what we're supposed to do when we're lacking. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But, verse 6, but, how many like buts in the Bible? I don't like buts, right? I would just like that verse at face value. <laughs> no, no, no conditions. But when you ask, this is important, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. This is scary. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Because I had minimized my need for God, I had begun to doubt, and this had begun to make me unstable. This had begun to toss me about in a way that I was unfamiliar with and uncomfortable with, and it was raising red flags. It had led to my becoming trapped and continually trying on my own, failing, and then spinning out in a place of defeat and failure. And this was becoming what now would maybe have been a cycle in my thinking. How many have cycles in your thinking that you know are not the best? They're not life to the full. And that's where I found myself. And then as I stayed in this place, I began to experience 
shame over my choices, right? I was embarrassed that I was dealing with this. I had shame. Shame is ugly. God has a lot to do, or excuse me, a lot to say about shame. And I know the Bible enough to know that. And so I was embarrassed that I was dealing with it, but then I started to realize that I was experiencing like legit shame, that I was dealing with it, that I was continuing to fail, continuing to strive, continuing to be defeated. Psalm 34, 5, it says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. So at the end of 2016, about a year and a half ago now, I found myself in this place. And then that's where God began to reach me. How many know that sometimes God takes us to a place, but he doesn't leave us in that place? He doesn't leave us there. And I found myself in this place. And so I'd ask you tonight, is there an area in your life where you might be experiencing less than life to the full? And so as I began to roll up my sleeves and and cry out to God, you know, spiritually, so to speak, just like, all right, God, I need help. I don't know how to get from here. I, um, I just want to encourage you, one of the things that God uses, one of the keys to finding truth that begins to set us free is God's word and the daily habit of reading God's word. So this is a rabbit trail, but let me go there. I just want you to know, if you want to see change in your life, read God's word every day, right? If you want to be it look different in three months and in six months, read God's word. If you want to have a different heart response to your spouse, read God's word. There's lots of other things to do, but if you're not in God's word, you're missing out on one of the easiest ways to have transformation come. Because the Bible says as we open God's word and we read his word, he begins to what? Renew our mind. He begins to change us in places that we don't have access to. We don't have the key. We don't have the ability to rewire it. Only God has access to those parts of our heart. And so in this place of really quite pathetic shame, defeat, and failure, I schlepped down every morning to my French press with my Starbucks French roast, right? I make my little formula. I stand there like an addict waiting for caffeination because, you know, I'm just letting you know I'm going to keep it real. i got three teenagers. i got a job. i got a home, right? I just like you. And so I'm waiting there, but the very next thing I do every day is I grab God's word. And don't, don't over-spiritualize it. Just read a couple verses. Just open God's word and give him a chance. And so this one day, as I found myself in this place, Starbucks French roast, by the way, four eight-level tablespoons, chunky in the French press, four cups of boiled water. Okay, Philippians 3. I'm reading through the Bible. It's the end of 2016. There's nothing spiritual about this. I was assigned that day to read Philippians. I'm just sure of it. And then God speaks. Philippians 3, verse 18, it says, Paul here is warning the Philippians. He's writing this letter to the Philippian church, and he opens up with these words. For as I have often told you before, and I now tell you again even with tears. So that's like Bible speak for, hey, you guys, I've said this before, and I really want you to hear it. So I'm going to say it again. Will you please listen? He's pleading with them, right? He's emotional. These are people he loves. He wants them to hear what he's about to say. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I'm sure that morning I was sipping my coffee, thinking, oh, enemies of the cross of Christ, these wretches, right? Is anyone judgmental when they read the Bible? I'm just saying. Who are these people, enemies of the cross of Christ? Let's just pray for them right now. Their destiny, verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Well, yes, their destiny should be. They're enemies of the cross of Christ, right? 
woman of faith and valor that I am. Here's the definition. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things. But, Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. These enemies of the cross of Christ whose destiny is destruction, there's three things that define them. Let's be brave today and honest about our own lives. Their God is their stomach. Stomach in the Bible refers to our natural human desires and appetites, which we all have just because we live in human bodies, right? We all have appetites, hunger, thirst, things that drive us. We have a sexual appetite, appetites for things that bring pleasure. That's not a bad thing, right? But he's saying that their God is their stomach. So these are people whose lives are driven moment by moment by the appetites of their human body. I want this. I want it now. I want more. I don't want it to stop. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Matthew Henry's concordance, excuse me, concordance states, these people not only sinned, but they boasted of it and gloried in that which they ought to have been ashamed. So these are people that have become so comfortable with their sin that they start to joke about it. They should be embarrassed about it, but now they wear it like a cloak and it begins to define them and it begins to be who they are and, they, and they're comfortable with it. And if I'm really honest, this is where I found myself that day, becoming comfortable, saying pathetic things in my, when I would process out loud with my husband. I remember one day saying, can I just be the cute, puffy pastor who's anointed by God, but this one area of my life is like maybe not the very, very best? Have you ever had an area of your life where you feel like, God, it's not so bad, right? It could be worse. Am I the only one? Like, okay, there's other people who deal with this, so this isn't so ugly, right? I mean, I'm still going to make it to heaven. I'm still a good mom. I'm still a good wife. Can this area of my life just be a little bit not lined up with your word? That's what the Bible says here is their glory is in their shame. You begin to get comfortable with the very thing that you should not be. Their mind is set on earthly things. That's the third one. And we just talked about that. They're double-minded. There's background noise. Energy, mental energy, emotional energy that should be spent on things of eternity and things that value are being robbed from you because our minds, right, are set on earthly things. <sighs> that low, dull background noise of less than God's best is happening in your life. I'll tell you what, it takes a lot of courage to hold up the mirror of the truth of God's word and be honest about what we see. Maybe some of you can relate to that. And that's where I found myself, knowing the truth of who God is, but spinning out in a place of defeat and failure and striving and frustration and embarrassment with no clear path forward, double-minded as if I was a victim, asking very real questions. What if this is the best it can be? What if... I stay broken. What if God can't help me? Does anybody here, maybe in the secret of your own heart, would you be wrestling with something deep in your heart? What if I can't get this right? What if God doesn't come through for me? What if this stays ugly? Hebrews 4, 
verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every time I read that scripture, I get emotional because how many know we have to, God doesn't show us our ugly to leave us in our ugly. He shows us so that we'll come to him and say, it says, it says approach him with confidence. Bring our brokenness and say, here it is. And then God gives us grace to change. He gives us truth that begins to bring healing. So that's where I found myself late in 2016. I read that scripture. God was breaking me. I picked up this book. I had read it. How many know you can read a book about truth, but if it's not God's word, it might not set you free? <laughs> so I picked up this book by Lisa Turquoise called Made to Crave. The premise of the book is um, that God created us with passions and we're made to crave things. And often we uh, fill those, you know, that craving with wrong things. It can be anything. But for her, it was her journey with food. And so I found it relevant. And I had actually read it a couple years before. And let's just be honest, I had reread portions of it, but I hadn't been set free. But there was this one section that I just opened it up that day. And I'll just read to you what she wrote. It says, obviously, she writes, I've been around this mountain a time or two or 27. But I love what my friend Ruth Graham says about traveling around the same mountain for far too long. And this is what Ruth Graham's speaking. Either we can be victimized and become victims, or we can be victimized and rise above it. Often, it's easier to play the victim than take off our masks and ask for help. That's not a shock. We get comfortable with our victim status. It becomes our identity, and it's hard to give up. The Israelites often played the victim card. And I love what God finally tells them in Deuteronomy 2.3. God speaks and he says, you have circled this mountain long enough. Now turn north. Turn north. It's time to move on. Self-pity, fear, pride, and negativity paralyze us. Taking off our masks takes courage, but if we don't do it, we will remain in our victim status and end up stunted. Taking off my mask means I have to admit that there's a problem, and I really don't want to do that. Admitting I have a problem will likely require that I make changes, and change is hard. And so I read that that day, and, and I just got on my knees before God with my coffee, my sweatpants, and my bedhead, and said, Jesus, Jesus, show up today. How do I take my mask off? I'm not even sure how to do that. But I know that this is less than your best where I find myself at. And I had a vision that day. And I want to share it with you. A vision, just so you know, is just a picture that you have that God gives you in a moment. And you just have a sense of understanding what it means. So it's not any big spiritual out-of-body experience. It's just like a little picture and you have a sense that God is speaking to you from it. So that day as I was on the floor in my living room and just praying and worshiping, and broken, and desperate, and pathetic. I had a vision of this beautiful, beautiful meadow. It was a large, expansive meadow. It had a low fence around it, and everything inside of the meadow was vivid, vivid green, and lush, and vibrant. Inside of the meadow were rolling hills. There was a babbling brook, and it went into like the lake or pond area. There were groves of trees and wide open spaces, and it was teeming with life. 
There was just birds and small creatures, and it was beautiful. It was breathtaking. My view was from overhead. It was just, whoa. And outside of the, the meadow was life as well, but it was dull, and it was dry, and it was gray rather than lush and vibrant. It was obvious to any onlooker you'd want to be inside of the meadow. And as I began to look further, I saw this wild stallion, and it was this beautiful creature. I mean, I'm not an animal lover, but it was a beautiful stallion, the stallion goes. It had this amazing, shiny, shiny coat with this long, flowing mane, and it, had, it was beautiful in stature, and it held its head up high. And this, 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 this beautiful creature, it, you could tell it ruled this, this meadow. like It knew it like the back of its hand, and it was grazing, and it would be running and jumping, and then it would go down to the babbling brook, and then it would find rest in the shade. And as I watched that picture, the stallion was grazing in the meadow, and the stallion kind of would look over to the fence and slowly began to kind of move towards the fence, and it quickly became a bit of a trot, and then it moved into a full gallop, and it easily jumped the fence and went out of view. And then the stallion immediately came back in view, and there was a sense of some time having elapsed. And I could almost not tell it was the same creature, because the creature that came back was hobbling and emaciated. Its coat was missing patches on it. Its ribs were showing. Its mane was all matted and ugly. Its head was hung down. And it had trouble, but it, you know, hopped over that low fence. It got back into the meadow. And it knew exactly where to go to begin to get sustenance, to begin a journey to healing. And what God spoke to me that morning was, Vanessa, you have always embraced since you were a very young girl. You've even championed the life that I promise you, life to the full. You've asked others to come along. Why is it that in this one area, you do not believe that your best life is lived within the boundaries of my word? And God began to show me that day that this was not a journey about eating or food choices or health, but it was a journey about the throne of my heart. Was I willing to believe that the life to the full that I so desperately wanted to be my life, was I willing to believe that God could teach me as it pertained to food choices? It was in that moment for the very first time that I realized that God wanted to, desperately wanted to be central to the solution that I was looking for. But it wasn't too small. It wasn't too silly. It wasn't too trivial that he cared deeply about it, and he wanted to journey with me and set me free and bring this area of my life into the boundaries of what his word said, the boundaries of that meadow, so to speak. And I believe there might be some people here who you have an area of your life where you just keep jumping the boundaries that God has. How many know that God gives us boundaries because our best life has lived within those boundaries. It's because what's outside of there sucks our life. It's not because there's something great he's trying to keep from us. He's a good, good father, right? So our best life has lived there. So he gives us boundaries to protect us so that we don't have to waste time healing and recovering from stupid. And it was so obvious that I was just, I kept going outside of these boundaries. And God wanted to teach me. So that day, I began a journey of repentance and recovery and finding truth. And I want to share in the few minutes that we have left the four things. So if you're here 
and you're saying, I feel like God is speaking to me. I have an area of my life. There's four steps that I believe that, will, that I had to walk through, will continue to in other areas of my life. The first one is I had to admit this as sin. And that, my friends, was really a big deal for me. See, when you take something that you just think is a little bit out of order or could be better, and all of a sudden you label it with sin, if you know God's word, that's a whole different bucket, right? God's word has a lot to say about sin. So for whatever reason, probably because I'm full of pride and broken in sin myself all the time, I had not admitted this area when I was really honest. I had not admitted this area as sin. The other scary thing is because it's with food, it can't be sin today and not be sin next week or next month or next year. And I don't know about you, but I got to eat three, four, let's just be honest, five times a day. So calling something that's never going to go away and always be in my face, sin, is serious business. Because we're talking about a label that's going to be on there for life. You hear what I'm saying? So I wrestled with it. But it was shocking to me that I had not admitted this as sin. If it was a baby, if it was like one of the, I don't know, the big seven sins in the Bible, maybe I wouldn't have trouble. But for some reason, it was, it was humbling. It was taking my mask off, was admitting it as sin and beginning then to deal with it as sin. The second thing, hand in hand, right? The Bible says that we confess our sins, we, we repent. And so I had to repent. I had to repent. Repent is a verb. It's an action. It's something we do. If God is here, then I was walking away from God in that area of my life. And what repentance really means, its literal meaning means we do a 180 and we walk back to God with that area of our life. So repentance is action. It's, it's, it's a moment, but it's also action. Saying, God, I, 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 I am sorry for this. I want you to break my heart for this. I need you for this. I have disappointed you. I, I want to get it right. But then it's walking towards God. What do you have to say about it? What do I need to change? Acts 3.19, it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Oh, I love this that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When we repent, so many of us, because we've maybe had bad earthly role models or we've experienced or just what we would do to our kids, right, because we're, we're sinners and broken. When we go to God, we sometimes we think that he's going to be standing there with his hands on his hips. It's about time you figured out that you can't get it right, right? But that's not the God that we see in the Bible. He says, oh, it's about time that you come let me be part of that. I've been waiting to have a conversation with you, Vanessa, because I'm crazy about you. And you can do this, and let me show you how, right? That's what he wants to do for each one of us when we repent. It says that our sins are wiped out, but it doesn't stop there, that times of refreshing may come. And I can tell you right now that I experienced the deepest refreshing of my soul the moment I began to deal with this area of sin and repent. My soul was refreshed. The third area is that you have to ask God for his boundaries. What are the fence posts of this area of my life? What are the boundaries of life to the full for this area? And you fill in the blank, whatever that area is. 
This is the practical plan part. This is the part that nobody can give to you that you have to do between you and God. Often it's wise to when God once you once you have the the once you hear God's voice, maybe make yourself accountable and share it with a couple people that are safe. But this is the part where you say, "All right, God, what are the boundaries?" But you don't say, "Okay, God, what are the boundaries?" Lord, can you just keep talking, right? And you just keep your mouth rolling. No, it's what are you saying? And then you shut up and you listen to what God wants to say about that area. Some of the things that God told me, I could have told you before, of course, that's going to be part of uh, getting balance in this area of my life. And then there were other things that God spoke that I had no idea were connected. I had no flipping idea, never would have been able to figure it out in a million years. But God, he wired me. The Bible says he's known me before I was, right, in my mother's womb. He's walked with me. He's been with me every moment of every day, and he waits in my tomorrows. Who better to speak and say, no, Vanessa, here's the plan. Let me give you the plan. God wants to give you a plan for the area that you need healing in and need forgiveness in and need restoration and freedom. James 4, 7 through 10. I love this verse as I was walking out this step. What are your boundaries? It says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And then there's two things I believe are key here. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's that word again. Wash your hands. Hands in the Bible speak to the things that I do, the activities of my life, the actions, the behaviors, right? The places I go, the activities I'm involved in, the things I'm engaged with. So it says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, come near to God. But what do you do next? Wash your hands, you sinners. That's Bible speak for change the things that you're going to do. So part of the plan is going to be new things that you do. New things that you do. Now, I had done a lot of new things. I tried a lot of things. It's very important that we partner it with the very next truth, which is it says purify your hearts, you double-minded. This speaks to the motivation behind the doing. So you can try a lot of new things but never get it right because so many times our motivation is wrong. But God's word says, wash your hands, you sinners. Change your doing, change your activity, change your behavior, but partner it with that is a new motivation, a clean heart, a new positioning of our spirit. And that is where freedom comes and victory comes. And as the band comes to get in place, the last step is obedience. Don't you wish that step wasn't there? I'm just keeping it real. Obedience is where the rubber meets the road. Obedience is where all of the truth, all of God's speaking begins to get put in place because now we desperately need God to supernaturally equip us to execute on the plan and the truth. We have to wake up every day and we have to obey. What I've learned about obedience is it's a lot like a muscle. How many have gone for a run for the first time in a long time and the next day you can barely sit down on the toilet without falling in, right? Or you go to work out and your muscle is sore, right? You do too many squats and you can barely like get up the next day. But the more you do it, the stronger you get. And so that's what obedience is. The first time you do it, God gives you a plan. You've listened to his voice. 
You're washing your hands, right? You're doing new things. It feels awkward. It feels foreign. It feels uncomfortable. It feels outstretched. It feels different. It feels fill in the blank. But the more that you do it, the easier that it gets. And now that I'm almost a year and a half into doing some new things, I can tell you it's now my new normal, and it can be your new normal too, right? We've all heard the studies on how long it takes things to be a habit, right? And things that are hard to lay down, you want to think you'll want to pick them up in six months, but now you don't want to anymore. So there's a positive reinforcement. That's the great thing about obedience. It positively reinforces itself. You just have to get started. You have to do it. And in the doing, God's grace is there. doesn't mean you don't fall. It doesn't mean you don't stumble right? But God gives you what you need to obey him. The other thing about obedience is that it can get boring. (laughs) Just going to be honest, you know, I had to start every single day in 2017. I felt like part of the plan that God gave me. I used a digital calendar, but I bought a paper calendar. And every day in my time with the Lord, every flipping day, I don't like to do anything the same every day. I don't know, life's too short to eat leftovers, life's too short to do things the same. I wanna have fun, I like to have fun. Every single day, I had to have a conversation because I felt like God told me that was part of the plan. I had to surrender that day. I had to bring truth and intentionality to the journey that I was on. I had to acknowledge my need for Jesus in that area of my life. I had to look at my day and say, God, am I, you know, give me wisdom for the situations I'm gonna find myself in. And can I just say, this wasn't an area like my life was on the rocks. I knew most of you then. I was doing life. I was serving Jesus. I was, right? It was that place in my life that was less than God's best. And those are the places that rob us the most. Most of us aren't going to go home and cheat on our spouse, murder our neighbor, or rob something out of their garage. But we might have areas in our life that are not aligned with God's word that are going to suck life to the full from us. We're still going to get to heaven, but I don't know about you, but I want more than that. And that's where obedience gets real, where we begin to step into a place of executing the plan that God has. So as you can go ahead and stand, we're going to return to a moment of worship. But I just want to encourage you as we return to this moment of worship that you would be courageous in holding up the mirror and the truth of God's word, being honest with yourself, asking the question, Is there an area of my life where I'm not experiencing life to the full? And that God would begin to speak to your heart. You would begin to um, realign that area with truth. I don't know about you, but I think of my house like, um, I think of my life like a house with lots of rooms. And I want every closet and every drawer in that house to be prioritized and organized by the lover of my soul. I don't want to have one closet where nobody can go because that's where I keep the broken, right? God hasn't, God's done so many things in my life, but on the third floor, the back bedroom, the closet, nobody goes there, right? I want it to be every year of my life, God, you have access to. Touch it, arrange it, organize it, make it look like you. Father, I just pray right now as we're here in your presence, God, that you would speak. Father, that you would help us to not just settle for mere Christianity, but God, to pursue life to the full. That when we see the enemy getting a foothold in our life, when we sense that there is something being stolen from us, taken from us, destruction being brought to us, Lord, that we would run passionately and hard after possessing life to the full. 
Father, that we would not settle for less than the full adventure, the full influence of our lives, the full impact of your truth on our lives, God. That we would be able to be exactly who you've called and created us to be, Father. Not because we're perfect, God, but because we're diligently pursuing all that you have. And because of that, Lord, we would be able to have the most adventure-filled, joy-filled, restoration-filled, truth-filled life this side of eternity that you have for us. So, Father, I pray as we're in your presence that you would just speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.